sometimes we bang our head against the wall with banks. At this point, they're our lending partner, and they're the ones that are giving us the fast pass to the Disney rides. So we're going to have to play nice with them. And, and even though we might come up with our own calculations, they might have separate forms and they might ask for forms redundantly, but we just have to keep pushing through. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. Seven Figure Flipping is on a mission to help serious investors do more deals, make more money, work fewer hours, and get their lives back. Here's your host, Seven Figure Flipping CEO, Bill Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and we're going to put this out in two different areas. I'm going to put this out on YouTube as an update to the current CARES Act stuff that I've been putting it out, putting out on our Seven Figure Flipping YouTube page, and then I'm also going to put it out on our Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. So you might hear this on the podcast, or you might go to YouTube. We're going to use a lot of, include a lot of links. I'll include a lot of the source documents that we talk about today um, on YouTube. So if you want to go there and check it out, you can. It's just the number seven figure flipping on YouTube. And then uh, I've got my CPA. This is basically like uh, I just. We were messaging back and forth and I said, hey, let's just jump on a quick recording for the updates of what's going on. So a lot of you guys are talking about the stimulus package. You heard my interview with John Heyer where we talked about a lot of it, but that was last week. And this week there's been a ton of changes and a ton more clarity that we got. So there was a lot of assumptions being made last week about everything. And on YouTube, I have put out a lot of different videos about the updates that I've seen and the source documents and basically Every time I get this update of my paperwork and what's going through my head, I'm basically creating a quick video to share with you guys. So if you want to check any of those out, just realize my videos from last week are somewhat outdated and there's some new things that keep coming out from the SBA, from the Treasury Department that are kind of like more restrictive than the CARES Act that we originally broke down on there. So today I've got my CPA, Chris Bacuro, on with me and we're just going to talk about some of the updates and things from what you need right now. We're going to put this out today, Wednesday, April 8th, and it'll be out on the podcast on April 9th. And then uh, you guys can, a lot of you are applying for PPP loans on Friday, April 10th, if you're an independent contractor, sole proprietor, self-employed person. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for helping me out. Well, it's great to be back. And um, yeah, this is like a full-time job keeping up with this, but we feel obligated to to really, um, you know, to research things and, um, and let's, let's go through what we know now. We, and, and, and like you said, what we know now might be different in, uh, in two, three days, but, um, but let, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Sweet. Honestly, it might be different than a couple hours. I did a video mm -hmm. last week on like Thursday, right before I submitted my application at four o'clock. By six o'clock, that treasury document that came out basically said, all those 1099 contractors that you were talking about, including just it's a no, you can't include them. So it was a big blow to a lot of the real estate investors. And what we'll try to do guys is we'll try, I'll try to keep this to real estate investors, like wholesalers, house flippers, our community, basically the people that um, are going to be applying for these things. So we've, we've done a podcast on this, the background, the big picture stuff. We've also included a lot of resources. So what I want to do is uh, last week, a lot of people applied either Friday, last Friday, April 3rd or Monday, April 6th for their PPP loan. And those were, um, LLCs, corporations, those kind of folks, W-2 employees, basically. So when you guys did that, um, we went through all of those details. So that PPP loan is the Paycheck Protection Program. We want to talk about that today. And we want to talk about the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, that's this IDLE program. And then we might talk and jump into the um, employee retention credits and a couple of things to look into in the future, but I'll do some future videos and recordings on that stuff for you guys. And I'm getting ready to do a coaching call for our mastermind members tonight. So this is perfect timing to kind of just riff and discuss some of this stuff um, and put it out there right now. So let's start with the paycheck protection program. So this thing is set up um, uh, real quick, high level overview for you guys. It's, um, it's basically money to keep your payroll going or you know, keep your business going if you've seen some economic distress from what's happening, uh, decline. And so what we've got is most people, we were trying to use 1099 contractors. They came out and said, no, you can't use 1099 contractors in your business, but the 1099 contractors can apply themselves starting on April 10th. They have $350 billion for these programs, right? And they're saying when the money's gone, it's kind of gone. So there's this mad rush on Friday. Some banks weren't taking applications on Friday. And the process of it, the way I understand it, Chris, and maybe you can correct me, but the bank is an SBA approved bank. Right now, banks are, a lot of banks are saying, if you don't have a, an account with us, a business account with us, starting February 15th of 2020, 
we're not going to accept your PPP loan application. We want to take care of our clients. And then there's other banks like Wells Fargo that are saying we hit 10 billion and we're not taking any more of our own people even. So the banks will approve this loan and they'll do it in-house and then they'll send it to the SBA for final approval. Is that right? That's my understanding. And, you know, because about 90% of our client base consists of real estate professionals in some way, shape or form, the bigger Think about this like you're building a spec house and you, you start building and when you want to draw, you go to the bank, they send, a, they send someone out there and you get a draw, you get a draw. But at the end of the loan, at the end of the process, when you, when you finally sell the house, before that, that buyer can, can get a certificate of occupancy, you're going to have to go through a whole nother phase of more higher level inspections, mortgage closing. So this is just, this is, believe it or not, everyone, I think this is the easy part trying to do the application and get funded because the, the second part of this is is keeping track which we could do that later but keeping track of the funds um, how to book it in your accounting software making sure it's getting spent in a qualified way to get to convert from a loan to a grant but it's yeah it's my understanding that the the banks there is a cap and and, and i can understand some of the banks saying well why are we going to take all these applications and do all this work if we're not going to ever put those applications in. Now the banks do, from what we understand, they do get a, a um, uh, they do get income from, from the, from doing the applications, but on the big, you know, which is a nice kick, but, but whatever is not forgiven, they're going to have to carry that loan at a 1% interest rate. So um, just my personal opinion, I'm on a call about one, one a day with the CPAs out there and, and this is just my own opinion. I wouldn't bank on it, but I would, I would, my opinion would be is a whole nother round of funding is going to come way before the program runs out of money. So I'm not saying don't go to the bank, but I, I would, I would, there, there's definitely a lack of conformity as far as this whole process. And yes, you alluded to Thursday evening. Um, one of my buddies was having a Facebook live concert and, and I got the email that we have a 31 page interim financial ruling from the department of treasury that diverted my attention. Uh, but, but yeah, the 1099 people, you nailed it. They, those people will apply. Um, we're, and we're starting to break down and we've created some spreadsheets and resources as far as coming up with what you're at, what the payroll number is and, and what's your annual payroll and then what's your average monthly payroll and then two and a half times that. So, Yep, for self-employed people, they're going to apply. Um, and, and interestingly, if you're self, if you look at the new application, there's uh, there's self-employed, there's independent contractor, and then there's some type of qualified self-employed. I can't remember the exact verbiage. Sole proprietor and self-employed. Right. Right. So how? So you could be a sole proprietor, or you could be self-employed and have payroll, and you're going to have two phases of your calculation. You're going to have your payroll calculation, and you're also going to have your net income calculation. And what we feel that's going to happen is it's going to be based on your Schedule C for 2019. Um, or if you don't have that done, at least some type of profit and loss statement that you can give the bank. When I'm reading through all of the document, all of the guidance, it just appears that this underwriting process is going to be very lax and open for interpretation. And it's, it's not uniform throughout. So. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, it's interesting because with my bank, I basically said, well, hey, I don't pay myself a W-2 in this company. It's a flow-through entity to me, right? But I have W-2 employees. And they said, well, we're, we think you might have to apply for your employees separately from yourself. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. We're going to apply twice for the same company. So this is all kind of developing as we go. That's the biggest thing. And I, say, I think every bank is going to have, they're basically able to say no. Like the, You're right. The bank's making money. They're making either 5%, 3%, or 1% commissions on the loan, depending on the volume and size of, the, of it is what they put in the CARES Act. So from there, the bank is kind of incentivized to do the loan, but they're also incentivized to be like, well, as Fargo's saying, we don't want $100 billion of 1% uh, interest loans that don't convert to grants on our books. We just, we don't have the financial capacity for that. Well, you know, and we won't be able to do any other loans potentially, even though they're backed by the SBA. So they, they don't want that. Um, they don't want uh, that restriction, right? So they capped it, which I, I know a lot of people are struggling saying, well, I bank with Wells Fargo. I can't, there's not another bank that's going to let me open up a business account right now and do this. So my recommendation would be to call around, find all the SBA lenders in your area, call them around. They should be incentivized to want to do this for you. So the bank can put regulations. So what I, the way I look at it is they get the CARES Act 
And then we have like the, the SBA overlays on top of that, them saying basically, I know it says this, but, and we'll get to the idle uh, program in a second, mm-hmm. but they basically came out and said, only $1,000 per employee up to those right. 10,000. But initially the CARES Act said $10,000 per company, right? So they're putting further restrictions and then the banks are putting their own restrictions on it. So it's just like in the military for me, we have these documents, we have like the big document that we have to follow. And then everybody puts their own kind of restrictions and you go to the most restrictive thing. So a lot of people are complaining and, and having issues with this, but ultimately like, look, there, it's, it is what it is. I'm going to play by the rules and figure out you know, how to structure this stuff. So we have this, the PPP, this is the Paycheck Protection Program. The other thing the SBA said that is 75% of that has to go towards payroll to be forgiven and 25% can go towards those covered mortgage, covered utilities and covered rent. So you have that 75 and 25, right? Exactly. So I would say at this point, as much as um, sometimes we bang our head against the wall with banks, at this point, they're our lending partner and they're the ones that are giving us the fast pass to the Disney rides. So we're going to have to play nice with them. And, and even though we might come up with our own calculations, they might have separate forms and they might ask for forms redundantly, but we just have to keep pushing through. Um, you, you are right on the, on the PPP proceeds. It's going to be interesting how those are, um, how those are reviewed afterward to see, you know, are they going to extend the eight weeks to 12 weeks to 16 weeks? Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but at this point it would be eight, to eight weeks. And yes, yeah, somebody in, for, for people that have employees, it's pretty easy to calculate your payroll based on, in my opinion, box three of your W-2 wages, not box one, because again, if you're an employer, you're paying Social Security and Medicare in box three, gross payroll. If you give, uh, if an employee defers that income into a retirement plan, you should still count the payroll, in my opinion, that of the gross amount or box three. Um, so that's easy to track, but when you're self-employed, how, again, it's, it's just, just thinking down the line of this, how are we gonna prove how much we paid ourselves? Um, but my opinion would be get the, you know, get paid, right? Get the money if you can. Worry about the, my practical advice is get the proceeds if you can. Worry about the practical application later. You could always pay it back as a loan if you don't have, you're not going to get a loan this easy, or you could always give it back. Or you can most likely, it's pretty easy to spend money, find, you know, utilize it and, and use it for, for the best uh, re- thing that you could do. But I would agree. Yeah, to answer your question, 25% can go to non-payroll expenses. And I know, so we did our application. Um, I did it. It was, it was through Chase. It was a kind of a frustrating experience. And I'm a CPA. So, I, you know, it was funny. I was telling my wife, I said, how could a, no offense, how could a normal piece of person go through this? You know, because it was all web-based. You know, the, the website was timing out. Um, but again, they asked for, they asked for how we're going to use the proceeds. So I had to, I estimated to the best of my ability. I know what our payroll figure is. I know how many payroll runs we're going to have. But, uh, but again, is is it going to be exactly what I estimate? Probably not. Yeah. So, so I, a lot of you are just single, single person, right? Right. You're a solo, a sole proprietor, you're self-employed, you're an, you're a contractor, you're somebody like that. Some of you pay a lot of contractors, you pay a lot of 1099s. And I'm going to talk about the tonight on our coaching call um, of like, we can't get credit for them, but they can get credit themselves and maybe some strategic ways to think about how you work with them. So let's go. I want to shut the door kind of on the PPP section. You mentioned something that I think you glossed over a little bit on gross payroll because a lot of what just came out last night, yesterday afternoon, was a whole nother um, SBA document with two frequently asked questions, number seven and number 16. And I'm going to create another video that talks about those two questions. But one of them was, for people that are paid over $100,000, so I get paid $200,000, am I including, a, like what you said, the state taxes and the federal taxes on that and also the retirement funds that right. are held back? So it, what it talks about is being the gross portion, like you actually don't have to make adjustments down from that. And then also it talks about exactly what you talked about, the gross payroll. So if I paid someone $4,000 a month, and that's the example that they use in that document, or, and $500 of that was held back, then do I use $3,500? So uh, federal taxes and everything, you know, the FICA section, right? Mm-hmm. Do I use $3,500 or do I use 4,000? So in, in essence, a lot of people are actually have the opportunity to get a little bit more money than they originally thought 
based on that. And then also clearly define that you're only reducing the federal taxes by the employer portion, not the employee and the employer portion of that tax that's been paid. Great point. I want to bring up one more thing in that. So yeah, if you have, we originally thought, let's say you're, you know, you were paid 200,000 on a W-2 and you contributed or the company contributed 20,000 into your, your, let's call it a 401k. We thought, okay, do we have to pro rata, you know, reduce those employee benefits, but you don't. So that's a really, that was a win for the taxpayer, as I, as I would say. One thing I want to talk about real quick, because we, I know we have a lot of, we talked about house flipping. Um, for the self-employed PPP, it's going to be based on your Schedule C income. So if you're reporting your rental properties on Schedule E, and you're, prob you're probably going to have to push towards the EIDL or some type of other, um, other type of program. If you're doing house flipping and, 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 you choose to, and you're reporting it on Schedule D, we don't have to get into Schedule D versus Schedule C right now, but if you're doing house flipping and reporting it on Schedule D, you're not going to qualify for the PPP. It's got to, in, in, from what I believe, it's going to have to be on Schedule C earnings. And um, so that, that's, that's interesting. You know, do I feel like, I feel like depreciation should be added back and home office should be added back. Um, but, but I don't think they will be. So yeah, I, the way you know. I understand it, it's gonna be the net on that schedule C, which is a chat. That's, that's a big issue. Like when I look at some of my companies for the net, we might've done some accelerated depreciation that year. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of these things. So the net is actually negative on some of my companies. So I, my recommendation to anybody who's listening to this is when in doubt, go to your bank or talk to your, talk to your lender and apply and apply with the numbers and information that you have. You'll give your Schedule C, you'll give your 941s, which is your you know, federal tax uh, or your quarterly taxes that you paid to the federal government. And they can see from that what it looks like. And then you can start having that conversation. So I wouldn't rule yourself out. I had a client of mine at Seven Figure Flipping uh, send me a message today and she said, um, I included 1099 contractors and it's been approved by my bank going to the SBA. And I said, well, give me the feedback of what happens when it makes right. it fair. And then, so the downside that she could have would be potentially the SBA says no, kicks it back. The other option is they say yes, because they're just moving them so fast. And then she's not able to get that portion forgiven when she applies for the forgiveness portion because they throw the 1099s out. And then at that point, you have 1% loan, like you said, for her to pay back, which is pretty much free money to us in the real estate world, right? So for the, I think the PPP loan, like it, when in doubt, just a, apply for it if you think that it's the right fit for you and you have a payroll. So at that point, basically what you're using it for is over the next eight weeks after you get the loan of if you're self-employed or a 1099 contractor, you're using it to pay yourself. And there's, I haven't seen anywhere in there that says you can't give yourself a raise. So that's going to be interesting for what, what it looks like going forward and what happens over those eight weeks and what's approved. But if I'm self-employed and I make less than $100,000 on my Schedule C and I got, let's say I got $15,000. So I make, uh, what is that? $6,000 a month on average over the last 12 months. I make $6,000. I get 12, I get 15 grand. So now mm -hmm. I pay myself $7,500 over the next two months it's forgiven is the way I look at it. Obviously, I'm going to have to pay self-employment tax on that money and all those things. The government, basically, the way I look at it is the government is giving us our money back that we paid into uh, our, all, all of our W-2 employees, our staff, our self-employment tax. It's basically, you know, it's coming back to us in the form of this paycheck protection program and then, and then some. Like, obviously, we didn't pay that much into it over the year, but we did in the last five years in my company. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have guidance on, on the repayment, you know, because again, when you're, if you're, a, if you're an S corp or a C corp or even a partnership and you have, you know, the proceeds is our loan. So I would book it as a liability and then offset that liability with expenses. But for the schedule C folks, it'll be very interesting to see how this gets administered. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, and at this point, again, at this point, you got to worry about, worry about tomorrow worry about survival. We are in an, an economic disaster. And try, if, you're, if, if the PPP is going to help you, I would encourage people to apply using a good faith estimate based on what, just like I agree with you, you know, this person that maybe they get approved, maybe they get funded on a 1099. That was what they understood at the time. I, and, and if they either pay the money back or convert it to a loan, um, again, I'm not an attorney, but I don't think that, you know, or they can give it back. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It, it was a, that's, that, was a, that was the understanding before this 31-page document came out last Thursday evening.
Yep. And, and the one thing that, that I'll say in this is now, now you need to transition as a business owner, if you do have 1099 contractors, is to help them go through this process. Like t- tell them about it. Talk to them about it. This Starting on April 10th, this Friday, uh, my recommendation to my people, so I have a couple 1099 folks, and I'm talking to them and I'm saying, hey, this is what it looked like. This is how much you got paid over the last few years. You, have the, you can apply for this. This is going to help you. And if they're, com- so I have some commission-based folks. And when their commissions go down over these next two months, their pay can stay relatively constant with this program. So over the, at least the next eight weeks, if they get approved for the Paycheck Protection Program for them, all they have to do is take their 1099 miscellaneous. And that's the, that's the piece that they give them. They have one person. You have one person. You know exactly what you made over the last 12 months. If you haven't been, the, the other interesting piece is what uh, some guidance that came out is you can use your 2019 payroll. So just 2019. You can use the last 12 months or, and it's probably too confusing to get into seasonal businesses, but if you're a seasonal business, check out one of the other videos that I did, but there's another portion that you can use in 2019 for, I think it's February 15th through June uh, 30th uh, Mm -hmm. for that timeline to base your, your best month. And then if you weren't in business, the other portion that came out, if you weren't in business after, uh, or before uh, July 1st. So if your company was started or you went into business June 30th, 2019 and forward, then you can use January and February's payroll. So it's even easier. So if you have a company that started after July, for, uh, July 1st, 2019 or on, you can use January and February's payroll to determine your max loan amount. So really interesting stuff that's come out that's not in the original CARES Act. So if anybody's listening, I'd say go watch some of the other videos on YouTube that I've, that I've done because I talked about this. And I think these are really important things that have overlaid on this um, that ha- gives you the ability to make some adjustments and make things a lot easier for you. Like you said, you're not a CPA. You don't have all these numbers. It's really hard. But if you started after like July 1st, 2019 or after, just use January and February. It's really easy. You have that. And right, then and the supporting the word- documents are tough. Right. It gets confusing. So for instance, let's say you have a partnership where you have employees. It's my understanding with, you know, the partnership would apply for its PPP, but then the partners themselves are technically they're self-employed. So if you have guaranteed partner payments that are subject to self-employment or you have a K-1 that shows self-employment income, that's going to be your quote unquote payroll for PPP as an individual, as a person. Um, the, the entity itself, it has, if it has payroll, will apply for its own PPP. So that's, and those are supposed to be coming out April, to, you know, Friday, April 10th as well. But again, you know, we're going to have to see, see what happens, um, you know, because there's, because those K-1s, again, are, if they're sub, if now if it's a rental property and you're getting passive income, then it's not, it's not self-employment. So essentially, if you're paying self-employment tax on income, think about that as your PPP number. Yep, 100%. That's exactly what I said. You got a Schedule C, you're paying self-employment tax or you're paying payroll tax. So it makes sense now. When they put the independent contractors in there in the beginning, I was like, man, this is fantastic for us. But, you know, I, it just doesn't seem like the, the, the idea behind it all, right? So now that the contractors are going out there and getting there, so if some of your contractors are getting this PPP, then you should have a conversation with them and say, look, over the next eight weeks, you're, you're going to make a lot more money than you would have working with us. Like what are the expectations and the agreement between your company and that person? And you as the business owner could, could make some adjustments based on your payroll, your pay structure with them and what they're going to do based on the relationship that you guys have together. So if I have some folks whose uh, payments are going down, like their commissions are being uh, going down, they got a bunch of money. It doesn't seem responsible that I'm also paying them and they're collecting this money for free. So just have conversations with your people. I think that's the biggest thing here. Uh, we talked about that on a podcast I did with Bruce Norris, and it's, it's about taking care of your staff and your people. They're going to be very thankful that you showed them how to do this and help them. I have a call today with my, st- my team at three o'clock, and I'm going to go through and show every single one of them how to apply for this. And we're going to help them. We're going to give them the documents that they need, give them their 1099s, walk them through if they have a bank, if they don't have a bank. Can we help them set, set up a bank account somewhere that they can structure this and, mm-hmm. and help them out? And that's what this is about. So let's move on. So that Paycheck Protection Program we talked about, um, get, get that in. I, the reason I think we spent so much time on there is we want to get that in like ASAP. And this is, it's pretty heavy. There's a lot of people that, are, that have asked for a lot. Um, a lot of money has been requested so far. So I've, I've seen some numbers, but I certainly don't want to say on here because I, I don't have any confirmation. Everything that I'm trying to talk about is like, I've seen the source document. I've read it. Uh, it's a frequently asked question on the SBA website. 
I'm, I'm directing, and we'll use, we'll put all the source documents of everything that I'm mentioning um, in the link here on, on YouTube and our email that we send out in the show notes. Um, so let's talk about quickly the economic injury disaster loans, so this EIDL, or some people are calling it EIDL. So originally we thought that it was going to be $10,000 to, uh, we, originally we thought you couldn't, you, it was one or the other, but now mm -hmm. there's guidance that says you could apply for both. But if you get the grant portion, so up to $10,000, and you get the PPP, that, you, that grant money would have to be rolled into that PPP loan, and it couldn't be used and separately. Both of these loans can't be used for the same uh, items, which is predominantly payroll is the idea and structure behind this. However, this idle loan can also be used for uh, long-term debt servicing and some of these uh, mortgage payments and things that you might have as a real estate investor that wouldn't be covered by the PPP, or you cover 100% of your payroll with the PPP, and then you might refinance some long-term debt or some high-interest debt on this idle portion of the loan. So we kind of mentioned it, but the PPP goes through the bank, so an SBA lender. The idle uh, application goes through the SBA. It's like four-page, easy uh, website that uh, you can log into, put in a, a little bit of information, and then it's gone. It's, there's a confirmation number. Screenshot that sucker, keep yeah. it, and know what your confirmation number is. That way, when they get to you, um, you, you, you have that, and you know kind of where you are in line. So this, this idle portion, a lot of people are saying, well, I'm supposed to have money in my bank account in three days. I applied on April 1st. I don't have it. Some people applied in late March before the new website was up. What the SBA has said now in a release is they said, go back and reapply. You won't lose your seat in line. And so I just did a video about that yesterday. I saw that in one of the uh, new releases that they had. And so this idle portion is... The other overlay that we just got, instead of 10,000, like up to $10,000 is what they're saying now, and it's $1,000 per employee up to $10,000. So on page two at the very bottom, it has the number of employees that you put in there. And so if you put seven, then you could have that $7,000. If you put one, expect one th up to $1,000. And that's the forgivable portion of this loan. The rest of it rolls into 3.75%, up to $2 million of a loan over 30 years. So did I get all that right? Exactly. I think we're going to call it idle because no one's gotten any money from it yet. At least no one that I know. <laughs> and uh, none of my uh, other CPAs that I talked to, we haven't had any successful funding. And exactly, we all thought it was $10,000 kind of like automatically, which would have made sense. That was like the absolute emergency. I can't even keep the, the lights on. Don't look like I keep the lights on in this room, but they, they are on. Uh, you know, so that's, but yeah, I mean, at 1,000, and I know with, on the PPP, um, you have to reduce it by your, your EIDL number. And, and I feel bad if people use 10,000 originally, and now it's going to be, for people that are self-employed, 1,000. Um, but the application only takes like two minutes. Um, but again, I don't know that anyone has been funded yet. And, and I believe the, from what I understand, the original amount is it's, it's a forgivable grant or basically, and it's just, it's almost like they're forwarding you some money right now. And then, app, and then you're in line for the bigger application. And it seems like it's a, for people that have a, have need more money than the PPP or have a larger business or need more money for a longer period of time, it might make more sense, but it doesn't hurt to at least apply. Yeah. So, so what I've seen is I've seen that it's three days once you get a loan officer assigned to you. So the SBA came out and said, that's what it is. So don't expect it three days from when you apply. We're just overwhelmed. And so they also said that you will expect to get an email from the loan officer once your loan is starting to be processed. You've gotten, they've gotten up to you, right? So I still haven't gotten that email and I applied pretty early in one of my companies for this. And obviously, like who's listening to this call that flips houses at $2 million and 3.75% interest isn't interested in something like that over 30 years, right? So, and what my plan to do is to refinance a lot of my long-term debt. Just keep in mind, guys, if you're listening, like we talked about previously, these are for if your revenue is going down, there's a couple of different things that it talks about for these um, these disaster loans, this kind of structure of companies. I, I think the, the main design of this is you shut your doors for two months, 
you just, you can't, people can't even come to your, your shop, right? So if you're doing really well, if everything's fine, if you've seen an uptick in business, this is probably not the right program or process for you. Now, if you've seen a drop in revenue, if you're have, having to potentially let people go and fire employees, that's where the Paycheck Protection Program is going to come in because you, we didn't talk about a lot of the details, but you have to keep your staff level at the same amount to get that portion forgiven. Um, you can't drop their uh, salary by more than 25% uh, unless they're high paid employees and you can drop it from 200 to 100. And so lots of those different things. For this, this grant and loan, the structure of it is for payroll and then a lot of like debt, like long-term debt, things like that I've seen. And there's a couple different things that uh, it talks about that I've covered in the past of why you would apply for this, this loan. So I, I agree with you, Chris, is like put it in there. And then what, what's going to happen is you, you, put, you put your gross revenue and then you put cost of goods. So mm -hmm. I get a lot of questions of like, what should I put in as cost of goods? And, and like a wholesaler. What, what would you say? Is it all their ex business expenses, overhead, operating, everything? Or is it more cost of goods as a flipper would be like the purchase price of the house and all the rehab that they put in, but not necessarily their mortgages and their um, uh, th maybe their marketing costs and stuff like that? That is an amazing question. I would say at this point, whatever, I would be more, a little more conservative on what cost of goods sold is and just and put in the cost of the property and, and improvements for a flipper into that property. The overhead costs, I would leave out of there. So if you're a service business like me, myself, I don't have a cost of goods sold because I'm not selling any anything. Because the other thing we have to keep in mind is that this loan, you're gonna have to um, get it, be approved and they're gonna have to feel like you could pay it back. So that's the, that's the other factor to consider, but I have okay. not found any 100% guidance on what cost of goods sold means beyond what cost of goods sold usually means when you're flipping a house. So you would say it looks, it probably looks better if you have a high revenue, lower cost of goods than high revenue, high cost of goods. I would think so. But again, I'm not, I don't want to give any promises out there, but that I would use whatever your cost of goods sold was on your tax return or on your profit and loss statement. Yep. And that's exactly what I did. I pulled up my yeah. P&L for the year. I took my top line uh, revenue and I took cost of goods and I put it in there. So I didn't include my, and guys, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but this is what I did. So I didn't include my, uh, like all the salaries, all the marketing costs, all the expenses, all that stuff. I just, I included what it looks like on my P&L for the year. So that was the structure that I did. I have no idea. Like Chris said, it's called the idle loan because nobody's actually gotten it and right. it's just out there. So I think um, for me, the, the structure of this is, and that's pretty much it. That's all you put on there. You answer a couple of questions. You put a number of employees on there, which mm -hmm. when I applied for this, I didn't like overly think about it too much. I basically put the same thing that I had before. And I actually have a couple more employees that I, that I kind of missed or skipped over when I put out that application. So uh, we'll see what happens with me. The, the other thing that I've seen is, so you got, you get a loan officer they're gonna start asking you for documentation because you didn't put in any supporting documents. I mean, you could have put in the fact that you have a $10 million business with no overhead and expect to get a full $2 million alone. So then they're gonna start asking for supporting documents. So what they say, what I've seen the guidance from the SBA is three days from when the loan officer is assigned to when you expect that grant portion, if you asked for it. There's a button that you click on the application that says, I would like up to $10,000 for the advance. And if you don't click that, then just expect to go through the normal loan process. They're going to ask for some documentation, proof, all that stuff, go through the process. And then it says like another five days expect for a, a potential approval for this. So that's what I've seen. So I, I, again, I also don't know anybody who's actually talking to the SBA about this. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of like joke posts about um, them getting like money in their account with a bunch oh, of yeah. So I've seen some of that stuff. It's kind of funny. So that's the, that's the idle portion. And then what that does is it rolls into a long-term loan. And I've also read in, in the SBA documents that um, they will, they're going to come up with the number that they're going to loan you. And then there's an appeals process if you think that you, just, you need more. And so mm -hmm. then you can go through that process with maybe some more proof of showing how much decline you've had in the business, what kind of outstanding debt you have probably, and they have some other documents that you can put together. So that's what it looks like there. And that's kind of the extent of my knowledge on that. It's just, I know a lot of people that have applied for this and gotten in line. I don't know anybody who's gotten their original grant, a quote unquote grant. And I also mm -hmm. don't, which I think is actually helpful because like you said, if I'm applying for the PPP, at least now I know that I don't have to reduce by $10,000 or any money. And so if I get that,
then you can actually say no to the idle if you want. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to say yes to, to, to that loan. And so you'll get the terms, you'll get the information. There's probably a two-way conversation, I would think. Again, all this is theoretical. So I'm just sharing a lot of what I've read. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many loans do you apply for that you don't fill in how much you're applying for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The new one for us. But yep. yeah. It'll be interesting. So that was the main question that I had is how do, how do we determine how much we're going get, to get, you know? And I still don't think that's properly answered. Um, I have seen one frequently asked questions on the SBA website saying that we will determine. And I've seen, I've seen one interview with an S, like a, a state SBA representative, one of the executives for the SBA said, we'll come up with that. And we're starting to work on that based on size and number of employees and, and volume and revenue and all that stuff. I hope that now I'm trying to remember that application. Do we put in our sector sick code or no? No. So that, that's, that's a good point. Um, I, I got that request from my uh, S from my bank for the mm -hmm. PPP. Okay. So that's, that's the old, the first time. Can you explain what that is? Sure. Every tax return has a uh, six digit, we call it SIC code, stands for SIC sector industry code. And that code identifies what type of business you are. And if you're a schedule C, it goes on schedule C, whatever. And, and for S corps partnerships, C corps, it goes on the tax return. That is a very underrated code because it's common belief that that code is going to trigger certain industry averages that could also potentially expose you to an IRS examination. And what drives me batty is when you have certain people out there that just use all nines, unclassified entity. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're doing rental properties, um, if there's a certain code. If you're, if you're a realtor, if you're a house flipper. So that's really important piece of, of the puzzle. Um, so yeah, so my, my, the reason I thought about that is I really feel for the restaurant business, the hospitality business. And although we all could probably use some help, I'd hope that they get the help as quickly as possible. Yep, yeah, so that, the first time that I ever uh, got that code requested was from my, from my bank uh, for the mm -hmm. PPP portion. So I don't know if that's happened for anybody that's listening, but that was, that was it for me. So. Um, Okay. Anything that we missed on the, this idle portion? I think the biggest like curveball that we saw recently was that is that grant portion was going to be up to a thousand dollars per employee. So if you guys were like waiting on that, then maybe that drives you to to actually uh, you know go towards the PPP, and maybe it maybe it doesn't. So I know that there's a lot of flippers that were, and when it was one or the other, so now you can apply for both as long as you're using them in different areas. So that's those are kind of the big things with this idle um, portion of of the CARES Act that I've seen. Yes. Nope. I think we're, we're good so far. And Okay. Well, let's, let's then quickly just touch on. So those are the two things that I think anybody listening, this is the timely stuff. Like go out and start applying for these. If you need them, get them in there. If you're an independent contractor, sole proprietor, self-employed person, um, make sure that you're putting in that PPP loan right away. I would recommend getting it to your bank ahead of time. Talk to your bank now and you can fill out the application now and it's ready for the queue on Friday morning. I don't know how they submit it or what their process is, but if, if it's an online system, they might not be able to, to input it until Friday morning. But just kind of the way I look at it is just kind of get in line and it's kind of first come first serve is what it seems. So you want to make sure that your bank is doing these. If they're not, you're going out and looking for another one. So, um, and then if anybody, if anybody knows that answer, like if you, if, can you open a, an account somewhere, put it in the notes for us, like, Put a comment in the YouTube uh, video that we're doing and let us know what banks are taking new, new, new people for this PPP program. Because that's a big, uh, people are, the biggest concern that I have is that somebody just banks with Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo on their website, it basically says, we do not want new business right now. You cannot open a new account. We will not service this. So it's, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. If you, and if you use a payroll processing company or you use Intuit for QuickBooks, I believe that um, QuickBooks, you can apply through, you know, I don't know if they connect you to the bank because I haven't done it, but I've, I've seen a lot of pop-ups and, and there's going to be people out there to help out. And, I, and it feels like the community banks are almost, um, I don't know, they're getting the applications in, but they don't have automated systems. Like with Chase, it was, you, you automated it. I did help my um, one family member that banks at a small community bank and uh, you know, the banker was asking me more questions than I was asking her because they were confused, but we still, it was just really just a trial. They haven't gotten funded yet, but the application went in. So I do think the SBA is, 
Yeah, I do think the SBA is making it pretty simple with the new update of that you can use 2019. Mm-hmm. So a 1099 contract, if you're listening to your 1099 contract, you could take your 1099 miscellaneous, divide by 12, put it in that box basically, and then that's pretty much it. Now, especially if you haven't filed your tax returns. So it's interesting because that you, you will pay, you, you are supposed to reduce that by some federal income tax, you know, and that you will have paid on it. So I think the banks are going to help you with that number. Like I really do. I basically told my folks, look, if you make over a hundred thousand dollars, put $8,333 on there, multiply by 2.5. And then you're at like 20,000 and some change for your max allowable. And that's, probably good enough. I mean, they might ask for a support and you send your 1099 miscellaneous. Those are the only things that they're going to ask you for right now. Um, because you, and maybe if you, if you already filed your 2019 tax return, then sure, you can show your, your schedule C, but if not, then you don't have any other source documents other than the 1099. Yeah. The payroll. So a lot of the payroll processing companies are developing special reports that you can print out and export. So for my the, the community bank, I, I only did two applications because we're really not in the business of doing bank applications. We are, but we are going to help our clients with any source documents that they need. Um, but I was doing it just as a user experience. So the, um, the one bank, I, we had the report coming from our payroll provider. It was so easy. And the bank sent me back on a spreadsheet that they wanted us to fill out to do our, their own PPP calculation. So I'm like, you know what? It's the same numbers. Let's just do it their way and play nice. With Chase... Um, they wanted the number and they wanted me to upload um, how, how I came with up with that number. And unfortunately, so we have an Excel document um, that based, you know, that calculates it. Of course, you couldn't upload an Excel document. So I had to convert it to PDF and who knows, you know, it doesn't look as good, but we'll see what happens. So, but yeah. I, I agree with you, just get in line, get in the queue, put an application into the best of your ability. And you know, there's going to always be, you know, they'll either, they're going to come back and request more information. They're probably going to request information you already gave them, but that's, that's life. Yeah. If any of this is bringing up questions, just drop it in the, in the comments here on the YouTube channel and I'll get the answer for it. I'm, I'm making sure that I answer this stuff. And I'm also going to do some follow-up videos to this too, as, because like Chris and I said in the beginning, this is changing all the time. So I'm going to follow along with my journey. You guys can follow along with me. This is the update as of, you know, Wednesday, April 8th of, I don't have any money from any of the idle uh, requests. I don't have a PPP approval, um, but all my information is in and my bank says that it's moving forward. So we'll see what, what happens with that. And I'll just, you guys can follow my journey and hopefully that you go along with it. The, um, let's really quick, I know we only have a few more minutes, but let's talk about the employee retention credit. And then, uh, because this is, I think this is the next thing. So we have these two, um, these two items, and then we have an employee retention credit, and then I'll mention a couple things about the family and sick leave portion, because it's these three things are basically uh, payroll credits that are gonna come back, so taxes that you paid in, basically a credit to you as the employer um, that you could use moving forward, and it's, it's either family and sick leave or the employee retention credit, the way I understand it right now from the CARES Act, and the, I, there's, uh, what's, the, what's the other one? Like, it's the family- um, Family FF, first. Families first, uh, coronavirus. Yeah, I, I, it's a, I think it's like FFSCA or something like that. Well, I'll, I'll, link, I'll link that document in the show notes too and the uh, comments here on, or the description on the YouTube channel. So, because that's, that's the next document that I'm digging into um, to really understand that because this is another option of anywhere from 5,000 to a little over $15,000 of payroll credits that you can get per employee depending on how you structure it. So let's talk about really, really quick. We'll just mention the employee retention credit because it might help if people have already done the PPP and idle, this is the next thing they want to look into. So what, what can you tell me about that? Sure. Well, this is a credit that's available to people that have payroll, first of all. And it's, um, it looks to be a credit of up to 50% of someone's gross pay for an employee that you've retained between March, I believe it's it's either the 12th or 21st. I uh, March 12th. Well, okay. I, I, I should have cheated and looked. Um, moving forward. And, and I believe it goes till January 1st, 2021. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but so what happens is, is you, get a, you get a credit, which is better than a deduction. A credit's money in your pocket for up to 50% of someone's wages for a, a retained employee. Um, and I believe it is even a new employee addition, um, 50% up to $10,000. So, so basically, if I pay someone $12,000, I can get up to a $5,000 credit. And that credit offsets your payroll taxes, or some people call them their, your 941 taxes. 
if you're in a situation where you don't, you're kind of in dire straits and you don't think you're even going to have that amount in 941 taxes moving forward, you can file a form 7200 and get a refund. Interestingly, on that 7200, you can't mail it in. The IRS created a separate fax number just for submission, um, which kind of gives me some hope that they're going to get to that quickly. You know, it's interesting because my, my payroll processor, we use a company called um, Rippling. I think it's Rippling. And uh, they came out with something that we can actually um, track all that inside of their system now. So this retention credit, also the sick leave and family leave inside of their system automatically, which is really, really great. Um, so one, one thing that you, you have to look at how you qualify for this too. So there's a couple things like your gross receipts will have to decline or you're fully or partially suspended during this period of time. Uh, based, and here's a couple of like keywords. Um, government authority limiting commerce, travel, or group meetings due to the coronavirus, or you drop 50% in the calendar year, the previous year, that same quarter, and then going all the way up to 80%. So that's when you kind of are back at full force the way that they look at it. So you're right, March 12th through December 31st, 2020. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of the period. And then if less than 100 employees is big too, can you mention that? Oh, that's right. You So I mean, pretty much 90%, 95% of our clients have less than 100 employees. So focus on that. That's because in that, you know, when I really looked at those two qualifications that you talked about, it'd be hard to find someone that didn't qualify. I mean, almost even, even though we are moving forward with tax returns, we can't meet with people. We can't, we were supposed to attend some events and do some presentations. We can't meet in our offices. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's, it's hard not to qualify for that credit. And if you're under hundred employees, it's pretty simple. Um, and, and like you said, definitely would lean on your payroll provider. The software is going to be able to track, track this credit for you. And, and so you're going to see that your 941 deposits will go down over the second, third, fourth quarter. Yeah. If you're, if you're over a hundred people, then take a look at the, at the bill itself. It's got, there's a couple other things that, that need to happen. Um, and I, yeah, I love it. it it's basically you, you're, you're getting, it, it's, you won't pay the, the payroll tax effectively. And then if you have any money on top of that, then you expect to get a, a refund from the IRS. So that, that's basically I mean, how it works. I, it might have been easier, <laughs> not that I'm in the law making, just to give everyone, to get, get rid of all payroll taxes and payroll for, for the second quarter and just yeah. say the PPP, you know, because essentially that's what we're doing. We're getting reimbursed for 50% up to 10,000 and also forwarded two and a half months of our payroll. But that's, you know, that would, that would make things too easy. Yep, I know. And so it's, this is really good stuff. I'll have another video that covers the employee retention credit. And then I'll also talk about sick and family leave because the uh, sick leave, the interesting thing about the sick leave is you can get uh, up to $200 per day per employee. And then uh, it, the, one of the big things that they had in this uh, family first coronavirus uh, act with FFSCRA, something like that. The, the, um, the structure of that was if the kids are out of school, so if school was canceled or because of the coronavirus or um, your family, you're taking care of your family, you're homeschooling, you're doing those kind of things, it allows provisions for that. So that's, that's the big one that I'm going to be following up on and looking in, uh, into a lot more because half my staff and myself included uh, have our kids at, at home and mm -hmm. it's really reducing the, the work effort, the amount that we can do things like that because we're taking care of our families right now. So um, the other part, like the sick leave, and that's the fam that was the family leave. The sick leave is you actually have to be sick or quarantined because of the coronavirus and they're gonna be asking for proof of that and everything like that. So if that, and that's something that, to think about going forward, you know, if you do have people that get sick. And by the way, this is something that is required starting April 1st. So even if you don't have a program set up for sick leave or family leave in your business, by April 1st, you must have it. So you have to have it. Mm -hmm. So, but the good thing is, you know, the government is going to reimburse you for uh, 500, up to $511 on the, on the sick leave and then up to $200 per day for the family leave for a certain period of time. And I'll go into that a little bit more in the future. And so th there's some really good stuff coming up. So the, um, for, for you guys, I think the big thing is the PPP and idle, that's my focus right now. And now that those are in for me, I'm going to, I'm going to work with my independent contractors with some of my people and our members inside the mastermind group and then move towards this employer retention credit, family leave, sick leave, because this is, that stuff can wait, right? This is not, um, that's areas where it's going to be credits based on our payroll. So the more we're, we're paying this money in anyway, you basically just don't pay it in. And then the extra money that we're getting on top of that will just be the good to have stuff that, that we can 
have in the future. This other stuff, that money's running out. So make sure that we're getting in line uh, in order digitally right now, right? And, mm -hmm. and applying for that stuff. And hopefully this is timely for all of you guys that are watching and listening. So anything else, Chris, that we missed? No, I really appreciate it. And we're going to continue. Obviously, you know, the timing of this isn't the best, although the July 15th deadline was ex occurred, which helps. Um, we also need have clients that are in, in real need. So we're working through things. We did, I'll, I'll um, once I see it on Facebook, I'll put our resources center out there. I'm trying to film videos on, on a daily basis with little updates. And uh, it's a public, it's a public resource center for anyone. Um, we don't need your information. We don't want your email. I mean, just, just use it. And, and is that the video resource that you've made, been making? Yes, yes. Okay. Can you, if you just uh, shoot it to me right after this, I'll put it in the description. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll have a link to it for everybody that wants to, wants to watch it or wants to check them out. They're awesome. really short videos. I love it. They're like four minutes long. I've been watching and you can increase the speed uh, just like I do on YouTube. So I can watch it at two times speed. Uh, although we talk pretty fast, but it's, it's really good. It's good stuff. It's very bite-sized information and timely updates. So same thing here on the YouTube channel, the seven figure flipping YouTube channel. I plan to put uh, updates, continue to make videos as I see them, uh, see things change and stuff that's Im impacting me. I'm going to share it with you guys and make the relevance towards house flippers and wholesalers primarily. So Chris, I know that you're busy. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with me. Um, where can they find, can, can anybody just find you on like your main website or something like that? Um, yes, we have a, I'll send you the link. Just a, a realestatecpa.guru is probably our best, best place to do an inquiry. Obviously, the next month, you know, a few weeks, um, our initial client consultations, uh, we're going to, we'll have those starting May 1st again. So, yeah. So I know Chris is really busy. Uh, like if you guys want to find out more information about him, he's here in Nashville with me and my CPA does a great job. Um, but I, obviously ma massively overloaded right now. I'm trying to get my tax returns done, all this stuff. So I know that they're super busy, but if you want to find out more information about him or his, his company, you can go there to uh, realestatecpa.guru. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right, Chris. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. I know that your, your time's valuable and you're really busy and this was good. I think people are going to get a lot from this and we, we, we hit the major updates uh, for them on this, uh, this program. If you guys have any questions, seriously, I am, this is what I'm eating and breathing right now for our members inside of our mastermind group for myself and my companies. And so I, I'm not a CPA, I'm not an attorney, uh, but I'll just, I have all the source documents. I've been reading them. I've been highlighting them. I've been trying to make it like dumb it down and make it as easy as possible for all of us just because it's super confusing. And so uh, if you have any questions, just post them here on YouTube, ask us away at sevenfigureflipping.com and we'll help you out. So thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. I'll see you. Stay healthy, everyone. You've been listening to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. If you're ready to learn the house flipping and wholesaling strategies that are working right now in today's market, check out sevenfigureflipping.com.